Welcome to Morning Report Top Stories, a selection of news from RNZ's morning news programme. Labour is demanding that the coalition government explain how it will deliver its promised tax cuts. Finance Minister Nicola Willis yesterday unveiled her mini-budget. But it contained a few details on how tax relief will be delivered and how much it will cost. She's confident changes to tax thresholds will be rolled out responsibly next year. Here is our political reporter, Katie Scotcher. The Finance Minister's first major test, the release of her mini-budget. It's the new chapter for a new government with economic responsibility at its core. Nicola Willis has found more than $7 billion in savings achieved by axing labour policies like half-price public transport and the clean car discount, as well as adjusting benefits to inflation, not wage growth. Ministers have been directed to find further savings and ask agents to trim their spending by a total of $1.5 billion a year. There is much work ahead to clean up the mess that Labor left us, but Kiwis should approach Christmas knowing. Better economic management has arrived and lower taxes are on the way. Labor wants proof. No one is any the wiser as to how National will pay for their tax cuts. What New Zealanders care about is the size of the sausage, not how it's delivered. And how we will deliver it is... But the coalition government is yet to work out how the sausage or tax cuts will be delivered. National campaigned on shifting income tax brackets and expanding tax credits. But during negotiations, the ACT Party convinced National to consider other ways of delivering the same amount of tax relief or more. We are all committed to delivering the level of tax relief that was in the National Party manifesto and we're all committed to doing it in the most efficient, fairest and simplest way possible. Uh, Obviously going into a budget, uh, we're taking a range of advice on how to do that. National's election policy predicts changes to tax thresholds will cost just under $9 billion over four years. But given the final makeup of the government's tax package is still unclear, So too is the final cost. Tax reduction is coming, but first we have to do the work. Nicola Willis is confident the government can pay for its tax cuts responsibly. The mini-budget contained $7.5 billion worth of savings, as well as concrete actions to deliver the next range of savings that will support tax relief. The government has committed to rolling out that relief next year, but New Zealanders will need to wait until May's budget to know the full cost and how it will be delivered. That was our political reporter, Katie Scotcher. Finance Minister Nicola Willis joins us now. Kia ora, good morning. Kia ora, good morning. Do you know how your tax cuts are going to be funded? Yes, we do. And what we showed yesterday was that within just three weeks of forming a government, we have already found $7.5 billion worth of savings. We then set out what our next steps are in terms of delivering savings, reprioritisations and new revenue. That includes a baseline savings exercise across government agencies, which is expected to generate Six billion dollars over the forecast period, and in addition, we set out uh, some plans to uh, get new revenue, including by stepping up the audit activities of the IRD, taxing online casinos, enabling full okay, cost recovery okay. for immigration visa processing. So they are they are mechanisms and plans, but in actually getting 
the true cost of the tax cuts. If you know, why not tell everyone? And then you can get Grant Robertson off your back. You can get these critics who say this was all light on detail off your back. Oh, well, because, Ingrid, we are still working through the exact details. So you don't know exactly. Well, we have been given good estimates by Treasury, which give us confidence that the quantum of uh, cost means that we can meet that cost through the savings, reprioritisations and new revenue measures uh, that we have committed to. So we're confident we can deliver tax reduction in a way that's responsible, that's fiscally neutral over the forecast period, and people will see that in May. You need uh, to I find more savings though, don't you, before then? Uh, well, we've set out that we are uh, initiating a baseline savings exercise across government agencies uh, because we do want to see a reduction in the amount being spent on consultants, on contractors, on departmental costs. Uh, and so it is important that we ask agencies to go and find those savings. In terms of the level of tax cuts being delivered and how they will be delivered, if you went on to your tax calculator before the election and uh, were one of the lucky ones who came up with the $250 a fortnight saving, is that still going to happen? Is that tax calculator still accurate or will there be changes there? Well, look, yes, uh, those are the commitments that we wish to keep. And, of course, in the case of someone uh, with $250, part of that would be the Family Boost childcare tax rebate, uh, whereby uh, we want to give people a tax rebate on the childcare costs that they face. Uh, so that would be uh, something that we still want to deliver uh, and that we're still committed to. Yeah, you say the words wish and want in there, but will you actually deliver those? Yes, that's uh, what the budget in May will show. Okay. Um, what about cuts to public services? There were more uh, more savings needed there. What form are they going to take? Well, what we have said is that we think that the huge growth in the public service in recent years is disproportionate uh, to what it should be when New Zealand families and households have been doing it very tough. So we've initiated this baseline uh, savings exercise. That means that individual agencies will be given targets of how much savings they should find. And we've asked them to look, what do you have that's a program that's no longer delivering what it's set out to, that's no longer aligned uh, with coalition priorities, or are there areas where you could have better efficiency, better productivity, and therefore reduce the cost of what you're doing? Uh, and I know that agencies already have a lot of ideas for that. Uh, we'll then go through those ideas and Cabinet uh, will agree uh, to some of those proposals. What about more infrastructure projects? Are they going to be canned or delayed? Well, we want to be a government that builds a lot of infrastructure. The problem in recent years, as the Auditor-General recently reported, is that government infrastructure spending has really lacked discipline uh, and projects have had huge cost blowouts, design issues, they've been underfunded and they haven't been delivered on time. So what we want to ensure is that the infrastructure projects we commit to can actually be built and that's about more than press releases, it's about good business plans, it's about good delivery plans and so we're doing well, a way to make sure that you deliver projects. a way to make sure that you do deliver is to say that you're not going to deliver on some of these things so will some of them be cut what we've asked ministers to do is do a health check on any uh, capital investment projects in the area that are at risk and we want to understand 
Are there any issues with underfunding? Are there issues with cost blowouts? Are there issues with delivery? Because I would rather know that now, and I think New Zealanders would rather know that now uh, and get good information about what the priorities are rather than promises that aren't delivered. And we've been advised uh, that the outgoing government committed to billions of dollars more uh, in projects without actually putting the funding aside okay. so them. some, some so of them might go the uh, the cost of living crisis it's not going away is it because unemployment is set to rise you've got gdp down your tax take is going to be down uh, kiwi's going to be hurting in 2024 well we have inherited a very difficult set of economic conditions and as we look ahead to 2024 uh, we can see how necessary it is that we strengthen the fundamentals of the economy. That's why we think it's time for the government to tighten its belt. We think tax relief is going to be really important uh, for people that who have been struggling for some time. Uh, it's also why we're committed to a range of policies to allow businesses and enterprises to invest, to create jobs, to grow. That's going to be very important for getting our country through what will be a challenging time. The uh, interest deductibility changes, when will they be implemented? We will be making an announcement about that in the new year, uh, which will contain the details of that. Um, our uh, policy as a government is to uh, restore full interest deductibility for rental properties, and we're going to do that in a phased approach uh, across, across um, a, a couple of years. Will that be before the tax cuts, income tax cuts? We're expecting to make an announcement about interest deductibility in the new year, so yes, ahead of the budget. Ahead of the budget. So that is the priority, getting what more we, money for uh, landlords rather than uh, workers. Our priority is managing our economy better. And what you saw yesterday was we have already found $7.5 billion worth of savings and reprioritisations to help get our books back in balance, to support tax relief, and to ensure that we're actually giving New Zealand taxpayers value for money. Those are our priorities. We want to preserve effective frontline public services. We want to ensure we have the conditions for strong uh, growth, for jobs, for opportunities. Those are our priorities. Okay, are you in charge of the barbecue at your uh, Chris family Christmas this year? <laughs> we are hosting family Christmas, and so, uh, yep, I think I know where you're going with something, but I'm now thinking ahead. I've worked out that everyone seems to have filthy minds, and so, uh, no, actually what we are going to put on the barbecue is a butterfly leg of lamb. Okay. Couple of sausages, surely. Thank you very much for your time this morning. That was uh, Finance Minister Nicola Willis. The Prime Minister has returned from Sydney using stronger language on defence and the nuclear security pact between Australia, UK, and the United States. Christopher Luxon says Aotearoa is exploring joining the non nuclear part of AUKUS, of the AUKUS agreement, and wants New Zealand to do its share of heavy lifting in its alliance with Australia. Our political reporter, Giles Dexter, is in Sydney. For a trip which made defence discussions a priority, it maybe didn't help that the Defence Force plane nearly derailed it. But the Prime Minister is at least able to laugh it off. We spent a bit of time talking about aircraft. I mean, Prime Minister Albanese is quite a planiac, an aviation nut, uh, and so um, he's had several gifted uh, Air New Zealand model aeroplanes in his old office from me. So um, I, I said to him he's more than welcome to gift me one of those Falcons if he'd like. 
we might not be able to get a new jet. But Christopher Luxon is keen to know what else New Zealand could gain by signing up to the second pillar of AUKUS. Under the pact, Australia is to get its first nuclear-powered subs. This country's non-nuclear status is non-negotiable. But Pillar 2 is about sharing defence technology, and Mr Luxon says he's exploring it. It's really about you know, new technologies uh, that we may be uh, wanting to build capability in or bring or offer capability to uh, in the alliance. So you know, at this stage for us it's about exploring uh, what's in Pillar 2, how it can be shaped, and whether there's opportunities for New Zealand to participate. But international relations professor Robert Patman from Otago University says even joining the non-nuclear part carries a reputational risk. We have projected ourselves globally as believing, uh, representing a, a worldview that's based on non-nuclear security. And so th- there are risks that that projection can be eroded if New Zealand even joined Pillar 2 of AUKUS. So there's a lot to weigh up. The Prime Ministers were in lockstep over the trans-Tasman relationship and the opportunities for defence and security. New Zealand is committed to doing our share of the heavy lifting in the alliance. Often it is indeed our defence forces respectively that provide support for each other at times of need of natural disasters. And that's just one area whereby increased cooperation uh, could benefit both of our nations. The two countries' defence and foreign ministers are set to meet in February. While Australia can't force New Zealand to sign up for anything, Anthony Albanese is clear there are benefits to closer cooperation. There are opportunities for greater cooperation uh, between our militaries, particularly in interoperability. Uh, That has practical effect as well. It's about efficiency. Australia is New Zealand's only military ally. William Hovard, Director of Massey University's Centre for Defence and Strategic Studies, says working closer with Canberra makes perfect sense. But joining AUKUS carries a risk of getting drawn into a Pacific power struggle between the US and China. The question is, should New Zealand engage in an independent foreign policy and balance in that space, or should we almost kind of move closer towards taking one particular side. The argument that we've seen from the Prime Minister today is that the world is more threatening, and so he's sort of suggesting that we start moving that way and take a position. AUKUS isn't just about Australia, after all, but the UK and US. Professor Robert Patman believes political changes abroad could change the nature of the agreement. It's one thing to join something like AUKUS when uh, Mr Biden is seen as the uh, pivotal leader. It's quite another thing if Mr Trump was going to be in charge because Mr Trump basically have a vision of world which is completely uh, almost in the opposite direction to which the sort of worldview that New Zealand has. Because while the relationship between Australia and New Zealand can stay the same between changes of governments, the US may be a different matter. That's our political reporter, Giles Dexter. Donald Trump has responded to the Colorado Supreme Court ruling that he is ineligible to run for office on the state's ballot next year. The court says Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the US Constitution bars anyone engaged in an insurrection or rebellion from holding office. In its ruling, it said the rarely used provision should apply to Mr Trump because of his actions on the day and his supporters stormed the Capitol building in 2021. Mr Trump called it a sad day for America. Joining us now is our Washington, Washington DC correspondent Simon Marks. Kia ora, Simon. 
give us a rundown of, of what happened yesterday. Uh, well, it was a bombshell, Charlotte. Uh, I mean, we were not expecting this ruling from the Supreme Court of Colorado, not least because similar cases have been heard in courts in multiple states over uh, the last few weeks. The claim being advanced that Donald Trump is ineligible to get his old job back because of that insurrection clause in the 14th Amendment of the American Constitution. And in every other court, the case has been thrown out by judges who either said it was too politically hot a potato for them to handle or judges who said, well, hang on a second, Donald Trump isn't yet a candidate for the nation's highest office. If and when the Republicans select him to be their candidate, uh, then his detractors certainly could try and advance the argument that uh, uh, he is an insurrectionist and he shouldn't be allowed to run for the presidency. But right now, it's too early to reach that kind of conclusion because the the Republicans are only just beginning the primary process that will lead to the selection of their candidate. The Colorado Supreme Court, all of its members, Democratic Party appointees, disagreed and by four votes to three said that Donald Trump actually should be disqualified from the primary contest, from the nascent stages of America's presidential race. Democrats rubbed their hands in glee. They all uh, were telling each other that Christmas had come early. They couldn't believe their luck. One Democrat, however, uh, kept his powder dry. We heard nothing last night here from the White House, but we did hear from President Joe Biden a short while ago as he uh, disembarked Air Force One ahead of a uh, campaign uh, stopover in Wisconsin. From an insurrectionist, sir? Well, I think it's self-evident. He saw it all. Now, whether the 14th Amendment applies, I'll let the court make that decision. But he certainly supported an insurrection. No question about it. None. Zero. And uh, he seems to be doubling down on about everything. So President Biden indicating that he's going to leave it to the courts to adjudicate. And there's only one court left to adjudicate this case in Colorado now. And that's the U.S. Supreme Court here in Washington, D.C., which is expected to take this case and act with alacrity. It's going to need to do that because uh, primary contests uh, in Colorado take place uh, in March at the beginning of that month. But primaries more generally in caucuses are going to start uh, taking place uh, from the middle of of January onwards all over the country. What sort of a response have we had from Mr Trump? Uh, well, Donald Trump immediately uh, used the ruling uh, to fundraise. Uh, my email inbox, uh, along with millions of others across the country, was flooded last night with pleas for money uh, from Donald Trump, calling this a tyrannical move, an act of uh, fresh election interference by the man that he always refers to as crooked Joe Biden, even though, of course, there is absolutely no indication that the president himself had anything to do with this ruling uh, by the Colorado Supreme Court uh, and uh, allies of Donald Trump and even some of his rivals in the race for the Republican Party's presidential nomination also moved to condemn uh, this opinion. Nikki Haley, the former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, who's trying to become the Republican presidential nominee, said it's not up to judges to decide the outcome of this contest. It's up to voters to decide the outcome. Take a listen to what Sebastian Gorka had to 
say he was the uh, f- he, he was the uh, deputy political advisor uh, to Donald Trump when Donald Trump was uh, in the presidency at the White House. We used to joke about Trump derangement syndrome, but uh, we know what this is all about. This is beyond a joke. They know that Biden can't win. Latest polling today has President Trump trouncing the old man, and they just want to make it impossible for the American people to freely choose their next chief executive. Now, just on the facts, that latest poll does not show uh, Donald Trump trouncing uh, President Joe Biden, but it certainly shows that if the election was held today, Donald Trump could expect narrowly uh, to win it. Uh, But it is much too early uh, for Democrats to think uh, that this is going to be their get-out-of-jail-free card, that this is going to turn Joe Biden's uh, fortunes around, uh, because there is every prospect that the Supreme Court is going to disappoint Democrats when it weighs in, assuming it does, uh, on this case. Uh, And uh, also, equally, uh, Republicans won't be able to celebrate that because, as other courts in other states have indicated, there's an avenue for fresh legal challenges using the insurrection clause of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution once Donald Trump becomes, as we all think he will uh, do, once he becomes the Republicans' presidential candidate, and that could take place as early as March. Thank you very much for that update from Washington, D.C. That's our correspondent, Simon Marks. Residents of an Auckland street famous for its festive lights say the tradition is losing its sparkle. For 30 years, Franklin Road in Ponsonby has embraced the festive spirit, with almost every home decked out with Christmas lights and decorations. But now residents are fed up with street vendors, who they say are ruining the tradition. Our reporter Jordan Dunn has the story. The lights are switched on from December the 1st till Christmas Eve, and Aucklanders flock to Ponsonby to gaze at the stunning displays. Franklin Road resident Roscoe Thorby championed Christmas lights on the street 30 years ago. But he says now, street vendors selling balloons, lights and food put pressure on visitors to spend money. They're entirely not related to the street and they're selling rubbish and they're taking advantage of the residents. Roscoe Thorby says the opportunistic hawkers are dimming the tradition's philosophy and more importantly... The holiday spirit. What we do is comes from the heart and it's meant to be a free gift so that parents can come along at an expensive time of the year and do something fun with the kids and not have to reach into their pockets for money. And there's pressure of uh, what's happening with the street traders and that have started coming into the area is the little kids are suddenly seeing sparkly balloons and, and neon things and are starting to pressure their parents into buying, which is exactly the opposite of what we've set up to do. He says street vendors are nothing new, but this year there are more of them and they're more stubborn. Other residents have given him the nickname The Sheriff for his determination to shoo away the vendors. But despite his efforts, they aren't budging. It's like that game where you know you hit a puppet on one side and all of a sudden he pops up out of another. So as soon as you talk to one lot and ask them to leave, another lot pops up behind them. Roscoe Thorby says residents are on the brink of packing it all in. The residents are now at the stage of saying, if this continues, we're out of here. You know, we're going to turn off our lights and that will be the end of the event. And that's a great shame for the city. But I understand and I agree with them. Residents are already putting up with long, noisy nights as traffic is jammed across Ponsonby and thousands walk past their homes. 
Donna White was the first to light up her house back in 1993, but now she and her neighbours are getting sick of strangers profiting from their work. They want to be givers, and they're they're joyful, but there is a certain element of traffic and you know people and and this and that, and then you see all of a sudden it turns into a big trade fair and everybody's selling on your doorstep. Then people get a bit unnerved. Her husband Gavin White wants Auckland Council to step in and deal with the hawkers. I mean, they have compliance officers and noise control and that sort of thing, but. It's two weeks of the year that there's a problem. The next week and a half is going to be the busiest. And if they had some presence, uh, that would be great. These visitors checking out the lights tend to agree with the residents. Our two have just sort of conned their father as usual. But anyway, I just think that it could do without the vendors, yeah. It's probably a bit bothering for the people who are living here. Probably starting to detract from it a little bit. I don't know, bothered. Not particularly, but it wouldn't want any more of them. RNZ spotted more than half a dozen street vendors, but none would agree to be interviewed. That's our reporter Jordan Dunn, who visited Franklin Road in Ponsonby. Labour says yesterday's mini-budget has left the country none the wiser about how the government will fund its tax cuts. Speaking earlier on Morning Report, Finance Minister Nicola Willis responded saying they are still working through the details, but they will deliver on their promises. Our priority is managing our economy better. And what you saw yesterday was we have already found $7.5 billion worth of savings and reprioritisations to help get our books back in balance, to support tax relief, and to ensure that we're actually giving New Zealand taxpayers value for money. Those are our priorities. We want to preserve effective frontline public services. We want to ensure we have the conditions for strong uh, growth, for jobs, for opportunities. Labour Party finance spokesperson Grant Robertson is with us now. Kia ora. You just heard the finance minister. She says they're going to deliver tax cuts, they're going to deliver fiscal responsibility, they're going to deliver on their promises. What's wrong with that? Well, there was absolutely no detail about how that was going to happen in the mini-budget yesterday. Nicola Willis um, and I spent a lot of time together on platforms during the election, and she was very clear that the mini-budget would explain how tax cuts would be paid for and indeed would explain in some detail the public service cuts that were going to be required to do that. Neither of those things happened yesterday. And you know, some of the assertions I heard Nicola Willis make on the interview earlier today just aren't backed up by this. I think New Zealanders had a pretty clear expectation of the government that they would tell them before Christmas what was going to happen and they failed. Do you think it's because the books were left in a worse off state than the government were expecting so that work to to nut out the uh, tax cuts is taking longer than they no, were expecting? I'd- no, I don't accept that. Um, what you saw in, in the government's um, half year or the Treasury's half yearly update yesterday was that there had been some deterioration in the in the medium and long term position, actually some improvement in the short term position, uh, unemployment, for example, not peaking as high as had been predicted, but certainly reflecting the challenging economic conditions that New Zealand's operating in, as many other countries are in the world. But the difference between uh, the pre-election fiscal update and the half year update at that level was small. What I think this is reflective of is a government that firstly has its priorities wrong, but secondly actually doesn't know how it's going to pay uh, for tax cuts. The amount of money that was put out yesterday from programs that are going to be cut or or new revenue initiatives only gets you to about halfway of what the tax cuts were said to cost. 
and actually doesn't take account of the fact that there are new costs in the coalition agreement that haven't been um, allocated yet either. So I think they're a long way away from being able to say that they can afford tax cuts. Okay, so if you got that half-yearly update yesterday, what would you have done differently to have righted the ship in, in what is troubling economic times? It is all about a balance, and what we had signalled very clearly in Budget 2023 was that Budget 2024 would be um, a difficult one and there would be difficult trade-offs. The very first thing I would not be doing is putting tax cuts into an environment where not only is the country's finances challenged, but also you run the risk of further fueling inflation. And the Treasury actually alluded to this in the half-yearly update yesterday where they say that there are risks to uh, the government's books from the policies that they're proposing. And essentially others, the OECD, and, and even I heard some commentators yesterday saying there is a real risk that actually pushing ahead with tax cuts in this economic environment will actually make the very cost of living pressures we're all worried about worse. So I certainly would not be doing that at the moment. There are definitely difficult decisions and trade-offs to be made, but you know, deciding that your priority is tax cuts for mega landlords um, is just simply wrong from my point of view. Looking at those trade-offs, a lot of your Labour Party projects have been, you know, got rid of. So how, how do you feel about that? Well, I think it's it's not so much about how I feel about it, it's about the damage it does to the country. If you look at what was announced yesterday, they're cutting funding to most of the climate action policies that um, and programmes that the, the previous Labour government put forward. As a country, we've got to be getting ahead of the challenges we've got on reducing our emissions and cutting funding for that for tax cuts for landlords makes no sense. I also feel for the, the you know the parents of two year olds who who were looking forward to the early childhood education being um, free for them or sorry twenty hours free for mm. them. Um, that being gone as well. I you know it, my reflection is that there was a lot of work done in budget twenty twenty three to get a good balance of being careful with the funding that we have, but also providing those programs and they're throwing yeah. uh, I, that balance I'm out sorry the to inter- interrupt, but would you have been able to afford those projects that they've got rid of given this half-yearly update? Yes, we would. And that's because, I know we're repeating ourselves here, but that's because we wouldn't be going down the path of unaffordable inflationary tax cuts. The government, Nicola Willis, has has wedded herself to those tax cuts. They're wrong in terms of the fiscal environment we're in. They're wrong in terms of the projects that have to get thrown out. Um, And I think most commentators looking at those books yesterday would say um, tax cuts at this time in the economic cycle are simply the wrong way to go. Thank you for coming on the show. That is Labour Party Finance Spokesperson Grant Robertson. You've been listening to Morning Report Top Stories. 